You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Rewilding. In the early days of Christianity, the gospel spread like wildfire through the nations, changing men's hearts and shaping the spiritual landscape of the world. What hinders the spread of wildfire today? We are in Acts chapter 2 today. We're going to start in verse 37. This is our final week of rewilding. I've enjoyed this series. Uh, It's been challenging, to say the least, to teach through. It's been some challenging material. Um, Anytime that you you use the word castration in a sermon, you're kind of asking for it to some degree. Um, But today we're going to be focusing on our wildfire. So we're going to be talking about the gospel. And so I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. This is one of the first times that Peter gives the gospel. Here's what I want to know before we start off. Are you with me this morning? Are we ready? Are we expecting God to move and do something here this morning? Yes? Good. I am too. I really am. I really am. And uh, I pray that I I can rightly divide God's word today and, and be in honor. Verse 37 says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Pause. What did they hear? They heard Peter give the gospel for the very first time. One of the very first times they hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that now people who were outside of the kingdom of God, people who were Gentiles, not Jews, now were open. It was opened up to them that they could know Jesus, that their sins could be forgiven, that no matter what they had done, where they had come from, Jesus had died for them. And not that Jesus had just died, but Jesus had risen from the grave. And it's a truth that we still celebrate to this day, amen? It's a truth that we still declare, that we still cling to, that still gives us strength in the midst of difficulty. And it's the first time that they ever heard it. And it says, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them these simple words, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. We know repentance is a turning away from something and a running towards Jesus Christ. It's not just uh, uh, confessing sins. It's not just saying I was wrong. It's saying, and it's, it's, it's not just saying that. It's actually movement from where you were towards the direction of Jesus. That's what repentance is. And Peter says, repent, be baptized for your forgiveness, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the for. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. By the way, that's us. We were far off at this time. We weren't around this 2,000 years ago. Peter's speaking of us and says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. I was reading, uh, I was actually having my son Noah read this passage on the way into work this morning, to church this morning, my work this morning, and uh, he was reading it to me, and he, and he read that part, he said, uh, added that day about 3,000 souls, and he said, wow, dad, that's a lot of people, we need a lot bigger church, and I said, yeah, it is. Verse 42, and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Who devoted themselves? The new believers, these new Christians, the first Christians, It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Let me just ask you real quick, when is the last time that you were in awe of anything? When is the last time? Now, I'm not talking about like, wow, that's really cool, or 
wow, what an awesome thing, or wow, I'm really high up in a building and looking down. I'm talking about when is the last thing that you were struck at the bigness of something. Maybe you were just in awe. Maybe, maybe you've recently gone through a surgery or, or, or something and, and maybe it hurt and you're like, I was in awe at how much it hurt. Whatever it is, that awe feeling is very visceral and spiritual at the same time. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like this, 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 this mingling of the visceral, the, the physical and the spiritual it creates this awe-inspiring, larger-than-life experience. And it says here that all of them were in awe at this time. And it says that many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, it's interesting when you study that passage, they were together and had all things in common. It didn't mean that they all liked, that they all, you know, all liked the Buckeyes. That's not what it meant, right? It's like, oh, we all get along. Why? We have everything in common. Like, she likes vanilla ice cream, and I like vanilla ice cream. She likes, it's not what it's talking about. This is actually saying that they were together and they had all things in common. And, and, you, and the way that the Greek is structured there, it, it means that there's great diversity, but apart from the diversity, there was unity. That's an amazing thing to think about. It says that they were together, there was unity in their, in their diversity, and in that they were common. In that they had everything in common. It means that there was nothing that anybody couldn't over, overcome to be in unity with one another. This is the picture of the church. You understand that? It goes on and says this. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. As any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, their church, together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I can get with that. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Ordinary people with extraordinary power. Ordinary people with extraordinary power. Preaching, sharing, teaching, praying, giving, suffering for the spread of the gospel. This is the picture of the very first church. The picture of, of the very first time the gospel is even shared. And it's amazing when you look at how far the gospel of, ha, has come. Jesus, we read in Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he goes up to a handful of individuals. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, this makes sense in context. If somebody walked up to you and just said, follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, you'd be like, what are you talking about? But in Jesus' time, in his day, it was in context, it made sense, because he went to fishermen and said, you're fishing for fish, I'm going to have you fish for people, follow after me. He was a rabbi, and they followed him because it was a privilege and an honor. And God uses these men, Jesus shapes these 12 individuals, they, they are taught by him, they are led by him. They laugh with him, they eat next to him, they sleep next to him around bonfires and campfires, and they learn over the next couple years all about the gospel. Now what's more than that, these disciples see Jesus do amazing things. They see Jesus raise the dead. Can you just imagine that? The first time that you would see the person you followed raise somebody from the dead? That'd be a little scary, that'd be a little intense, wouldn't it? They see Jesus heal people. They see Jesus feed thousands of people with just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. 
They see Jesus bring sight to blind men. They see Jesus lay his hands on leprous people and then heal them, which by the way, there's a whole sermon there. The fact that you will always read that Jesus laid his hands on a sick person and then healed him. He laid his hands on them first and then healed them. That's a sermon in and of itself. They're around this Jesus. And I would say my favorite disciple is Peter, okay? Don't act like you don't play favorites. We all play favorites with everything. Peter happens to be my favorite. And the reason he happens to be my favorite is because he's the most like a cartoon character to me. He's the loudest. He's the most uh, just barrel-chested. He's just ridiculous. Like Jesus is out walking on the water because he's Jesus. And Peter's like, hey, if that's you, I'm going to come out to you as well. And she's like, all right, come on then. And Peter's like, okay, I'm coming. And then he literally jumps out and he walks on the water and then he almost drowns. That's Peter in a nutshell. Peter's an amazing individual. Peter goes on to share the gospel in this context to thousands of people and lead the early church. But Peter also saw Jesus betrayed. Peter saw Jesus brutally beaten, flogged and whipped. Jesus sees, Peter sees Jesus hung on a cross and brutalized. He sees Jesus die. Peter also sees Jesus rise again. I mean, can you imagine this life? Can you imagine this man? Can you imagine what it was like? And then they think everything's good. Everything's fine. Everything's great now. We've stuck through. We've gotten through. Finally, Jesus has risen from the grave. It's all good now. And then Jesus is like, hey, guys, I'm taking off, by the way. What? Are you for real? Like, like now? Now you're going to go. And he's like, yeah. Because the Jesus inside of you is better than the Jesus beside you. It's better that I go so I can leave you the Holy Spirit. Oh, and by the way, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> Please take care of her. Tosses the keys to the church and says, go, take my name and go and tell everybody. Go and tell everybody what I have already taught you and make disciples of everybody, teaching them to observe all things. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and I will be with you, and then he leaves. And now Peter speaks, and all of a sudden, the church is born. So that's just to catch you up to speed. And what happens in those early days is nothing less, nothing short of miraculous. These 12 individuals take the gospel, and they grow and they grow, and they grow, and they grow. They grow in just a few short years over 400 times their original size. They start planting churches in other countries. They start learning other languages and leading people to Jesus. We see churches popping up everywhere in Corinth and Ephesus and Colossae and Rome and all these places and thousands upon thousands of people are accepting Jesus and following the teachings of Jesus. In fact, the best thing you could, you could even compare it to is a wildfire. It's out of control. It's out of their hands. And it's just on fire. I wonder, when was the first time you ever heard the gospel? For me, I was, I was raised in church. My dad's a pastor. So my dad was witnessing to me as I was being born, quite literally. And uh, I think, I, I mean, I grew up just, I don't know that I haven't ever known the gospel. Does that make sense? And that's not a statement from arrogance. It's just true because all my parents ever listened to growing up was Southern gospel. 
I don't know if you have ever listened to Southern Gospel. I'm not talking about new Southern Gospel. I'm talking about old Southern. I'm talking about the old Southern Gospel. Anybody talk about like, uh, like Bill and Gloria Gaither? I'm not even talking about the Gaither vocal band. I'm talking about Bill Gaither. That's what he, my dad used to listen to. Um, how about the Perrys? Anybody? The Florida Boys? Any Florida Boys fan in here? Of course not. You don't know who that is. Why would you? That's what I listened to. But not just that, like, there was other stuff too, like uh, uh, Salty, the singing songbook. Anybody know Salty? Exalt, why would you? Of course, these are the things. These are the things I grew up on. So I grew up on these things, and you're like, oh, this makes so much sense. That's why you're so weird. Yes, exactly. Um, so I grew up hearing the gospel all the time. But I do remember this. I remember a very specific incidents when my dad and my mom, we were having family devotions with myself, my mom, my dad, and my brother. I have a brother. His name's Cody. He's two years younger than me. He's not as good looking as me. Um, and uh, i just like to make that known because he'll hear this later and call me and be mad. But it's true. It doesn't, it's truth. Anyway, um, I remember I was eight years old. He was six. And uh, we were having... We were having devotions, having family devotions. And my dad read out of Romans. And it was probably the first time I remember hearing this passage and actually like something inside of me like moving. So I'd heard the gospel before, clearly. I'd accepted Christ at a younger age. But my dad shared this passage, and that, but, but something different happened inside of me when I read this. I want to read it to you. Look at this. Romans chapter 10, starting verse 8. It says this. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what's that say? Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, here's a good truth, by the way, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction, distinction between Jew and Greek. You say, what does that mean? Well, okay, it used to be this. There was a time when God was only available to people who were Jewish. Jesus came, laid down his life, the perfect sacrifice, spilled his blood, rose again, and offered salvation to everybody, not just Jews, but now everybody else, Gentiles, Greeks, whoever. So now it's available to everybody. And it goes on and says, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, will be saved. Verse 14, here's where, here's where something shifted for me. Look at this, look at this with me. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Verse 15, how are they to preach unless they are sent? When I heard these words, when I heard my dad read these, just a simple end of the night devotional, I immediately felt this like, like, this, like this pain in my chest, like this uncomfortable pain in my chest and I thought of my brother because I knew Cody and he was only six but I knew that he didn't know quote know Jesus I, I just started worrying about him I started thinking about him and and we shared a room because that's what you did when you were in my generation you had a bunk bed and we had a bunk bed anybody know anything about bunk beds come on yeah exactly right we didn't get our own rooms you rich kids we had to share a room and a bed that was divided in half and called a bunk bed. So we had a bunk bed and he would sleep on the top and I would sleep on the bottom. And that night I decided to talk to my brother because all I could think about was what's going to happen to Cody if he were to die. Like 
if, if nobody tells Cody about Jesus, then how's he going to know Jesus? I kept thinking about Paul's words. I kept thinking about what my dad had said. Like, how are they going to know unless somebody tells them? And how are they going to tell them unless somebody preaches? How are they going to preach unless somebody's sent? And I thought, I'll be that preacher. I'll be the person who's sent. I'll, be, I'll tell that to Cody. I'll tell him. And I had no idea what I was doing. And it was the very first time I'd ever given the gospel. And I don't think I did that well. But I want to fill you in a little bit on that conversation. <laughs> It went a little bit like this. Hey, Cody. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a question, Cody. If you were to die right now, do you know where you would go? And Cody's like, do you know something I don't know? <laughs> like, no, if you were to die right now, do you think you'd go to heaven or hell? And he goes, I, I don't know. And, and this is where I kind of deviated from probably how you should share the gospel. Because I said, well, Cody, we got we to figure that out right now. Because if you died right now, you're going to go to hell. Cody, you're going to go to hell right now. If by some reason you fall out of the top bed, top bunk, and you fall, you're going to hell. And I talked to dad. I don't think you want to go to hell. Hell's not a very good place. Like, you're on fire for the rest of You're on fire forever. you got to get saved right now. Okay, that's, that's how it went. And my brother started to, to weep. He started to cry. He jumped out of the top, I promise you. He jumped out of the top bed, ran out the door, was like, Dad, I don't want to go to hell. That's what happened. And, I, and here's what's funny is I was in the bottom bunk like, yes. Until I heard my dad go, Travis. I came out, yes, you know. <laughs> what did you tell your brother? Just give him the gospel, Dad. Um, but do you know why? Do you know why I had to tell Cody that? Do you know why I had to ask him that? Even though I didn't even know what I was doing, do you know why I had to say that to him? Because I love him. And once you know the truth of the gospel, and you have somebody that doesn't know the gospel, how can you do anything but share the gospel? I had to tell him. And I love Jesus. I loved Jesus then. I love him now. And because I love Jesus and because I loved Jesus, I talked about Jesus. How many of us know that we talk about the things we love? Would you agree? I mean, it would be rather strange if, if, if I've been your pastor for seven years now and you just today found out I had kids. That would be strange. If I'm sitting here and, I, and, and somebody said, yeah, his kids. He has kids? Hey, he's got five, five, he's got five kids? I didn't even know he was married. Like, wouldn't that be a strange thing? Do you know why I have kids? Do you know why you know why I have kids? Because I love my kids. I love my son Noah. I love my daughter Estella. I love my other son Judah. I love Asher. Sometimes I even love Moses. I love my kids. I love my wife. And because I love them, I talk about them. We talk about the things we love. Some of you all love your job too much. You need to stop telling everybody about it. Some of y'all love the, the newest diet you're on, and we don't care, especially if we're overweight. Don't talk to us. Leave us alone. We love some things, too, and it doesn't have to do with dieting. Like, we all talk about what we love. Would you agree? Yes? So if we all talk about things we love, why aren't we talking about Jesus? I mean, is there any other environment where we show up and actually raise our hands and worship and sing about how much we love something? And then leave and don't even talk about it? 
Like we claim to love Jesus so much that we take time out of our schedule, get our children ready, show up on a Sunday, raise our hands and sing about how much we love. Oh, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. But I'm telling you, your love is not shown in how hard you worship. Your love is shown in how much you share the gospel. Because when you love someone, you talk about someone. When you love something, you talk about something. Couple that up with the fact that you love the person that you want to tell the person about, and you've got a killer combination. So why is it that we don't share Jesus? We're more than happy to share things that nobody even cares about. Like, you will share your meal on Instagram every day, and no one cares. Like, I just got to be real, like, not even one person cares, okay? Like, nobody got this killer new nobody cares and when they click like it's just because they feel bad for you because you don't have a girlfriend nobody cares what you ate okay (laughs) but we'll share that we'll share our kid riding a bike we'll share snippets of a church service We'll share great moments. We'll share tough moments. We'll share, in, like, we'll share these things. We put them on our feed. We share them with people because we share what we care about. And you know, do you know what we share the most? Selfies. We share more things about ourselves than anything else, and yet we're scared to share Jesus. We share what's important to us. And I think there's a couple reasons. I think there's either really like three reasons, maybe two. Two strong reasons. I think the third one is strong too. Number one, I think that we don't share the gospel because either A or one, we feel that our mission is more important than Jesus's mission. Our mission, what's our mission? I don't know what your mission is. To be successful, to get that girl, to get that house, to get that stuff, to buy that car, to get in shape, to get abs, to... Somehow we regrow hair. I don't know what your mission is in life, right? But you're like, this is an important mission. And so like, we feel like that's more important. Our mission is more important than Jesus's mission. What was Jesus's mission? He makes it clear in the gospels, in the book of Luke, he says that uh, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus's mission was to see people find their way to God. That's it. Now we've convoluted it and complicated it and marketed it and packaged it so it sounds better and looks good and sounds, smells sweet. But Jesus came to save dying men and women. That was it. That's his whole mission. That's it, to make a way to God. And so we don't share the gospel because number one, either we feel that our mission is more important than Jesus or number two, we feel that our own mission is more important than other people's eternity. I mean, It's got to be those two things or one of those. We don't share the gospel because, number one, we feel our mission is more important than Jesus' mission. Or, number two, that we feel like our own mission is more important than people's eternity. There's only one other answer why we don't share the gospel, and it's apathy. Apathy. We're just apathetic to sharing the gospel. I need, I need to kind of like, not, I, don't, I don't know if, how interactive we can be, but like I need to be a little interactive because I need to know how much I can press on this, honestly. You need to let me know. Can we talk about this apathy a little bit? Is that okay? Yes or no? Yes? Okay. Um, 
I'm gonna, I'm not gonna yell, I'm not gonna say this loud because I feel like just it alone is a strong enough subject. But we are very apathetic when it comes to the gospel. Um, embarrassingly apathetic. And and it's and it's a disgrace. I include myself in that. Because you know what I find myself doing? I find myself going from point A to point B, thinking that when I get to point B, I'm going to do this important thing. And I miss all the people along the way to point B. Because what I have to do is so important. The conversation I need to have has to happen. Where I'm going is so important that I put blinders on, not realizing that I have driven by dozens and dozens and dozens or walked by many, many people who don't know Jesus, who I have Jesus, and I have now chosen not to share Jesus with. That is apathy. You say, no, 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 pastor, you just focused. You just laser focused on that, but no. It's apathetic. It's more pathetic than apathetic. Because I'm so important, I gotta go, I gotta go do that thing. I gotta go talk to those people. I can't be bothered by this and I can't be. And yet we see Jesus Christ stopping all the time talking to blind people, to children, to beggars, to lepers, to prostitutes, to liars, to thieves, and saying, these are the people I came to talk to. All you religious people? No, no, no. I came so that the sick could be made well. See, that's the good news of the gospel. The gospel isn't for the religious elite doesn't work. The gospel is that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, you are never too far away from the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And so you might say like, well, that's too good. That's good. No, you're right. It is too good. I got I to gotta contain it. Like, it is too good. It's too good. And that's why it's the gospel. It's the good news. It's that you could never get to God. So God sent his son for you. There's no amount of things that you've done, no amount of confusion you've had that Jesus Christ will not save you from. And here's the problem as Christians. We have that truth and we don't share that truth. And it's apathy. We see in this early church, they took it seriously. And what happened? The church exploded. Revival didn't just sweep a town. Didn't just sweep a city, not even a country. It swept the world. A couple years back, uh, took our kids to the zoo for the first time. We only had no one Stella at this time. This is years ago. And I had been priming them and prepping them. We had been binge watching shows about lions for weeks. I had literally been showing them the most carnage-driven lion shows. I mean, just like, I, I promise, this isn't even a joke. I, I like had DVR'd lion shows where they were just shredding zebras and just gorging themselves on antelopes and just attacking humans. It was like, when lions attack. And like, like they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like all leading up to this day, we're gonna go to the zoo. And we're all jacked up. They drank Mountain Dew on the way. We're just like rolling in. We're just ready to see these lions. And we roll up to the cage like this, you know, and we look and they're just laying on their sides. And, and, and I was like, no, this is, 
Steve, what? No. And Stella, little, she was a little girl. She looked over and went, pretty kitty. And I was like, no, no, they're not pretty. They're killers. They're murderers. Right? I was so disappointed because that's not a lion. Lions are meant to be free. Lions are meant to be killers, man. Lions are meant to be roaming the plains, the African plains, hunting and stalking their prey and just devouring things with sharp claws and teeth, right? That's a lion. And yet here's this lion who has become fully domesticated and fully content and laying there and yawning on its side all day. See, it became content in the cage. And that's true domestication. See, for us as Christians, the gospel is in you. Yes, it's not changed. The same God that loves us, loved this first church, loves us today. The same Jesus that died for the first church died for us. The same spirit that was sent to them who moved and shifted and shaped nations then still lives in this church today, still moves in you today. And yet you have become comfortable in your domestication. There is something inside of you that should be longing to run free, to hunt and stalk those far from Christ and and going and leading them to Jesus. Man, where is that? Wake it up. Wake it up. Our nation needs you to wake it up. Your father needs you to wake it up. Your mother who does not know Jesus needs you to awaken to the gospel. There are people that are dying around us every day and we are apathetic to the fact that they will spend eternity in hell. Now I know that's strong, but it's also true. It's kind of like war. When you hear the word war, you don't think of what war means. You can hear the word war and not cry. But for those who have experienced war, who have seen the mutilation, who have seen uh, the heartbreak, who have seen the devastation, when somebody mentions war, you don't just think about the word war, you think about the people involved, you think about the hurt. Well, it's, it's kind of the same thing with the gospel. When we talk about hell, We say, people go to heaven, people go to hell. We're like, yes. But if you think about it, it is life-altering. The fact that there will be people, maybe in this very room, who will pass away into an eternity without Jesus Christ and spend an eternity separated in hell from God. How can we be okay with that? Hmm? I'm not even preaching. I'm just, I just, I'm just asking you, how can we be okay with that? We can't, we shouldn't, and shame on us. We're better than that. And we will be better than that. We will be a people who care about our community. We will be a people that care about the brother across from us in the row, the sister across from us in the row, the people that we don't know because there are enough hurting people, family members in our church. There are enough people in our church right now that don't know Jesus Christ. We will be a different church. Do you hear me? We will be a different church. Why? Because we're trying to stand out? No. Why? Because we want to be different? Yes, but no. Why? Why? Because it's what Jesus told us to do. 
Because it's actually the church that's real. It's actually the church that we see catching fire in scripture. Can that not happen today? I tell you that it can. And why don't we try? Why don't we try? Have you ever thought about what it would look like to see Grove City meet Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Have you thought about what it would look to drive down Buckeye Parkway and seeing people reading scripture and, and seeing families gathering together and talking about Jesus? Just like the whole road is just meeting Jesus. Like all pinnacle up here. Just like, just all. And, and no church can claim it. Just everybody's getting saved everywhere. Can you imagine what that would be like to drive down Stringtown Road? Can you imagine being frustrated on a Sunday afternoon trying to find a spot to eat? Because everybody's closed because it's Sunday. Nobody's showing up because everybody's in church. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I want to go that far, but I'm just saying. Can you imagine what that would be like? Here's my thing. Like, I don't want to spend, I don't want to waste your time. I also don't want to waste mine. I don't, I don't want to spend my life imagining things when I know they can take place. Let's, let's just, let's see that happen. Let's just see that happen. It can happen. It can happen. It can take place. But it requires you just to be baseline and obedient. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.